Hi, and welcome to AGM Watch, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. Coming up on the 21st of October 2021 is the Helios AGM, ASX code HLS. Our company monitor is Patricia Beale, assisted by Elizabeth Fish. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Phil. How are you? Good, good, thanks. Thanks for coming on. And um, just wanted to also call out to Elizabeth Fish, who has um, helped you in this. So tell us about um, Helios and um, what it does as a company. It used to be primary healthcare, I believe. It did. I was just about to say that, that till it changed its name, it was called primary healthcare for quite a few years. And I think they gradually got infiltrated by people who weren't part of the primary method of operating and gradually those people predominated and wanted to really set the company on a completely different track, different um, codes and objects and all the rest of it, so uh, remodel the company completely. So they decided that they would really like to change the name completely and wipe out all memory of primary healthcare because they were changing it quite significantly. Yeah. So tell us about um, Helios and what it does. Well, when it was taken over, it was quite an amalgamation of sections. It started out its business plan by building lots of medical centres and those had rooms for doctors and the odd dentist and maybe um, imaging as well. So they added in a little pathology collection room and put their own blood collectors in there, thinking, well, that's a good source of captive people to um, patronise us to do all these different requested um, pathology tests on. And it worked all right for a while, but I think gradually over the years the doctors got harder to recruit mainly because the upkeep on the medical centres was declining somewhat and they weren't the best of landlords perhaps and they just didn't get the economies of scale that they really wanted either. So that wasn't working very well and they weren't getting the latest technology equipment to keep the pathology labs up to date and this, that and the other things. So things got neglected for a few years And then gradually it changed and then it decided to change its name as well and becoming Helios. Mind you, they still trade under the state umbrellas, I think, that they used to do. And you've got a background in pathology yourself, don't you? I do, indeed. I worked at a hospital pathology lab, a public hospital, the children's hospital, actually. And so basically there's two firms that competed between each other in Australian pathology. Helios is one and the other is Sonic Healthcare, which probably more people might have heard of actually because it's been more of a blue chip company for a lot of years and it also has a number of differences. And the main one is that it's an international company at this stage. They're both domiciled in Australia. They're on the ASX. There's no difference there. But Sonic, its revenue comes about a quarter each out of Australia, USA and Germany. And the other quarter is a mixture of odds and sods, which is a small 
pathology imaging only in Australia and smaller amounts of pathology in the UK and Ireland, Switzerland and Belgium and this imaging centre and uh, something called Sonic Clinical Services, which actually has been involved in being the largest private vaccination provider in Australia with the pandemic, helping roll out the vaccinations. Helios basically is only within Australia, but Sonic has Australian pathology, but more than 50% of its revenues come from international pathology. And just to date stamp this, we're recording on October the 7th on a Thursday and you've been to the Sonic Healthcare pre-AGM meeting this morning as well. And members might remember um, we met uh, the CEO, Dr Colin Goldschmidt, at the annual conference this year and members seemed to be quite impressed with him and the story that he was telling about um, the commitment of the company to the medicine that's involved rather than making a profit for profit's sake. Yes, their main guiding light is uh, trust the medicine and follow medical advice in everything they do. Of course, they're working for the long-term good of the patients and, of course, the doctors involved and the doctors and other workers, their staff, and the emphasising the, the uh, ethics and long-term medical care provided by the doctors who basically often run the whole centre in each country, whereas Helios, their predominant is customer care, which is also a good driving force, but with the usual looking after their staff and this sort of thing, which both companies try to do very well, and the patients, so neither of them are saying that those factors aren't important, but Sonic is the one that primarily stresses the medical side being in control, whereas Helios, they do have some medically or pathology-type qualified people, but not nearly such a predominance on the board, whereas Sonic is practically everybody on the board has medical experience of some sort, apart from the odd accountant or two. So turning back to Helios, um, you attended the pre-AGM with uh, the chair, Robert Hubbard, and Janet Payne, who's the Group Executive of Corporate Affairs. How did that go? What was the discussion about? Oh, well, the usual things, basically, quite a bit about how each of the companies was really doing so much unexpected and being really overworked with COVID testing more than anything else. But, I mean, Helios as one little anecdote was in their annual report were featuring, they'd set up a, you know, these drive-through collection centres to collect samples to do their testing up at Bathurst and it was on Mount Panorama in, in you know, open marquee type, the way they do those, that you just drive through and cold and draughty and about dawn in the morning these collectors were shivering in the, the freezing weather but still valiantly collecting swabs to do the COVID testing for Mount Panorama. And I think indeed the the collectors and the instrumentation, the people who work the instruments back in their laboratories were doing 24-hour-a-day shifts to get 
all the samples through at the times when there was huge demand and occasionally people were complaining about it taking two days or more to get a result back and you can understand it when you think of all the huge numbers of tests they were doing. So has COVID impacted the business in a positive sense financially? Oh, definitely. The return on funds has gone up quite significantly, well, since last year, shall we say, and the majority of the COVID testing was in this June to June this year financial year. So it's made a huge difference. And the share price has gone up very significantly also. And the CEO got nicely rewarded, but he was working valiantly hard, according to all accounts, so uh, he apparently thoroughly deserved it. And what's your overall impression of the business since it has um, been taken over and uh, changed from primary healthcare? What's your sense and feel for it? Oh, I think it's, it's improving no end and they've got a five-year plan basically to turn everything around. They've basically simplified it. So they've sold the medical clinics quite a while ago and they've just finished the sale of the IVF section. They did have a number of private hospitals. They bought a group of private hospitals called Montserrat and they've just added slightly to that, but that's still a very small section of their overall business. The, the very much the main business is the pathology. So tell us about the voting intentions. Basically, we're for everything. The director re-election? Yes, they seem seem fine. They've remodelled the board and brought two females onto the board, so they're getting their representation up with a good gender mix. And, uh, yes, they've announced an ESG policy of getting to net zero by, I think it's 2025, and um, generally oh, they've really been conscious of their staff and sort of gave all their staff three days extra over Christmas last year and I suspect they might do something similar this year. I don't know. That hasn't been discussed, but certainly they're realising how hard all of their staff have worked over this period. Were there any specific directors that you wanted to talk about? The chairman, Rob Hubbard, has certainly seems to be very active in the driving the remodelling together with the CEO, Malcolm Parmenter, and I think they're both excellent. I don't think there's any bad directors that I know of on the board. And uh, the remuneration report. Tell us about the REM report and also the short-term incentive grants. Uh, Well, the CEO certainly got a good STI grant this year. One feature with their remodelling plan is that they decided that it would take five years because there's so much equipment and things that needed to be purchased to remodel everything, that it would take five years basically to work through those without spending too much money. And they anticipated it would take quite a while to this five years. And during the five years, they expected that probably they wouldn't be doing so well and so they decided to give their key executives a one-off grant of share options at the initial stage and they would be held in escrow, you know, not awarded or anything for five years. During the last three of the five years, 
there would be a, a third possible awarded of those long-term options in substitute for the usual long-term incentive plan. So there'd be no normal long-term incentives during those five years because they presumed that they would be worth zilch each year because it would take so long to offset all the extra costs involved. But actually, because of COVID, they did particularly well this year. So the CEO got a very handsome short-term incentive, but by all accounts, he really earned that too. So we're not grumbling about that. But just that the total package is quite different to the usual way long-term incentives are awarded. So there wasn't any possibility of that this year. But by the time they mature, it probably will be definitely worth significantly more, providing the rest of it works over the future time, which is looking very promising at the moment. And can you tell us about the non-executive director share plan as well, please, now that I know what NED stands for? (laughs) Thank you for letting me know. (laughs) Well, one of our strong policies is that as well as the executives, the directors should all have skin in the game because they are basically the people on the board who represent the shareholders. And it's pretty poor to say, well, I'm representing you, but I haven't got any of my money in the game, even if you put money in the game as a shareholder. So we think that's a poor thing. But usually we ASA just expects directors by the time they've been in office for three to five years to have out of their own money, out of their director's fees, if you like, have purchased enough shares to be a respectable shareholding, to be equivalent to one year's director's fees, basically. But because primary, when it was first taken over, was not a company that many directors probably had money invested in, they've decided several years ago to do a share plan for non-executive directors to allow them to put their director's fee pre-tax into purchase of shares which would be held but they couldn't sell them till a number of years in the future type of thing just so they would have skin in the game. And that was done a couple of years ago for the directors that were in office at that stage. But as I said earlier, they've now got two extra directors and they're proposing the same sort of scheme under exactly the same conditions for these new directors. But one of the new directors, I have to say, has already herself bought enough shares to qualify her to the ASA requirements, so there you go. But it's showing that they're helping their directors to be thinking in terms of the long-term future of the company, just like the executives that lead the firm should be doing too. Patricia, thanks very much for your time today. You're welcome. 